Welcome to Unquenchable, where we discuss all things biblical theology, listening prayer, and Christian living. Each week, we will share a discussion, an interview, or a story that will feed your spiritual curiosity, helping you to better understand the Bible and receive inner healing so you can grow in intimacy with Christ through prayer. It's interesting how we tend to mock the things that we don't understand, isn't it? Jude 1.10 talks about the people in the church who slander whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. So I'd like to start today's episode with a bit of a disclaimer. For some of you, the stories we're going to share in this podcast are going to describe what you're already doing intuitively in your own prayer life. But if you're like me, and I believe like most in American Christianity at large today, these testimonies are going to stretch your categories for how God speaks, leads, and heals his people. I know this because even though I had been a Christian for decades, I grew up in the church and I had conservative seminary degrees, and at the time I'd spent 12 years as a professor of biblical studies, and I had no framework for these kinds of stories. And I had to struggle to get my footing to begin to see that God was working around me in these ways. And that is the very reason that I'm sharing them with you. So that maybe through these stories that I might save you from this struggle and help you to have a biblical and practical framework for leading others to inner healing and deep intimacy with Christ through prayer. So today, as Chris, Jen, and I discuss how we've experienced healing through prayer, let me encourage you not to be like those that Jude is warning about. Don't practice cancel culture Christianity just because what you're hearing is something that your current experience doesn't give you categories for. Rather, why not be like the Berean Jews in Acts 17.11 who were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica? For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And if you're curious to hear more, click subscribe. And then you'll know the minute the new shows are released. And if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star review to help others find us. And if you don't, well, share with someone who would. Last episode, Don, you talked about when you were first beginning to intentionally experiment with listening in prayer and how that prayer session helped you to understand and heal from a childhood event where you had made a well-meaning but unbiblical vow that was robbing you of the fruit of the Spirit. Since then, you remembered another prayer session that you had with the Lord before even that one. Yes, you could say that this was my first intentional prayer experiment in listening prayer. Would you tell us a bit about that? This prayer session was the first time that I intentionally sat down and invited God to speak to me through my imagination. In one of the books that Jen gave me to read, there was something called the Garden of the Heart Prayer. In this prayer, you're supposed to ask the Lord, Lord, if my heart was a garden, what would it look like? And then allow the Lord to guide you around this garden and show you the things in your life that were good and right and show you what was growing in your heart that was not of him. You said this was the first time you invited God to speak to you through your imagination. Unpack that a bit. The Garden of the Heart was something that I had heard about from other members of our church. At that time, there was one church member who was living a life that was very much like Jesus. It seemed like everywhere I went, I would see him either working with the poor or the homeless, or I would hear about him uh, some prayer time that had resulted in a life-changing spiritual breakthrough. I remember one person in particular who talked about how she had prayed the Garden of the Heart prayer with him, and she said that as she prayed, God was showing her images of sinful roots in her life, and then he would label them, and then she could know what they were, and then she would deal with them. And she told me that she tried to pull them out on her own, but she wasn't able to. What do you think of that? To be transparent, at this point, I pretty much checked out, 
I was very uncomfortable with the idea that God would speak through images and that we could interact with them in this way. Here we have someone trying to pull out imaginary roots from an imaginary garden, and she couldn't even do it in her own imagination. I didn't say anything to her at this point, but I, in my heart, I was just really judging her. I thought, boy, you can't even pull out imaginary roots? Boy, you really have problems. I remember this time as well and struggling to accept it too. So how did you get from such skepticism to trying that Garden of the Heart prayer yourself? Well, I just continued to hear reports from of this guy from my church, how he was praying with people. And they would often say things like, yeah, I was really struggling with fill in the blank. And then I prayed with him and now everything has changed. So I was a, a bit stopped in my tracks to think that a single time of prayer could be transformative. And this guy was on fire. Sometimes two or three times a week, I'd run into him or some random person on the street. And I would find myself in a conversation about how they had met with him and how a single prayer session with him had changed their life. Yeah, I can see how that could be dumbfounding. What was the turning point where you chose to pray the Garden of the Heart prayer yourself? It was when you, Jen, slid this book across to me, and with timidness and with longing, you said, do you think this could be biblical? And I knew I needed at that point to tread carefully. I saw the Lord of the issue, and I thought, well, for the sake of my own wife and the sake of my own church, I really need to get to the bottom of this. And I couldn't find a reason why this wasn't biblical. In Matthew 13, Jesus did compare hearts to fields in his parable of the sower, and in Psalm 139, King David does ask God to search his heart and show him things, so maybe it would be okay for me to ask God to speak to me in pictures. So I found a quiet place, and I asked the Lord, Lord, would you show me if my heart was a garden, what does it look like? I really appreciated you helping me to look into this. I was so curious about the stories I was hearing from friends but yet so cautious that I stay within the bounds of God's word and character. So what was it that you saw in your garden? I don't remember all the details of my garden, but I do remember getting to one tree that had a single tap root that went straight down into the ground. And I was able to pull the tree out and the root out very easily. It slid right out of the ground. I was perfectly able to pull out of the ground without Jesus' help. You were? Well, sort of. It never got harder to pull the root, but the root just kept coming. The more I pulled the more it came. And I pictured Jesus standing beside me, letting me pull this root. And I told him, see, I can do this forever. And I sensed him saying, yeah, and you will be doing this forever on your own. Well, he made a valid point. So I eventually conceded and I let him pull on it. And with one motion, he pulled out the root, coiled it up into a spiral, and then rolled it down the hill out of sight. How did you take that? Well, in the moment, I felt something shift inside of me. Through this imagery, I now felt as though I was free from sin management, and somehow it became clear that sin was no longer my struggle, and I opened my eyes, and I pushed my chair back from the table, and I thought in tears, Jesus rolled my sins away. And I thought, no, what, wait? Jesus rolled my sins away? Is that biblical? Where in Scripture do we ever see sin being rolled away? And so my mind just kind of scanned through Scripture. We've sin taken away. We have sin nailed to the cross. We have sin blotted out. But we never see sin rolled away. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Isn't there a hymn that says, my sins were rolled away and my night was turned to day? Well, no, that's actually the, the hymn actually says, my sins were washed away. So that wasn't it either. So as my mind was jumping from thought to thought to process what was happening, I sensed the Lord saying, Donnie, it's an analogy. I've removed your sins from as far as the east is from the west. And he was quoting Psalm 103.12. And then I conceded. I thought, although the imagery wasn't biblical in the sense that it wasn't word-for-word biblical analogy, I had to admit that something was different within me. Although I owned up to my sin, I no longer owned it. 
it was his. That's amazing. How did this time of prayer affect you long term? It was a bit odd. After that, whenever a situation would come up that I would normally have been triggered for temptation, I would remember Jesus rolled my sins away and would feel as though it was a real historic moment in time when I stood before Jesus and he did a real work. So you say it felt as though it was a real historic moment. So talk a little bit about that. That sounds like something you could unpack more. In one sense, there was never really a garden at all. I never pulled a tree or a root. But even though there was no physical tree or root, there was a real spiritual work that really happened. Through prayer and my imagination, I was able to surrender an area of my life to Jesus that I had apparently not yet given over to him. So it's been many years now since the first time you prayed in this way. How do you look back on that time? It was pivotal in a couple of ways. First, this day I look back to that time as when I gave Jesus my ownership of my guilt, my shame, and my sinful thoughts. Secondly, it was the first time that I even tried to invite God to speak to me through pictures. Since that time, I've learned that by allowing God to use pictures, we're often able to better conceptualize our struggle, and we're better able to interact with intangible things such as emotions and addictions. How so? It's sort of like a currency exchange where we ask God to help us to picture what we're struggling with. It can be hard to give over anxiety, for example. But if we pray and ask, Lord, would you show us what is my anxiety like? We might picture like an octopus around our heart. We can more easily give an octopus over than some non-material emotion. Okay, yeah. And if we can't give it over, we can sense and interact with it at least to make some progress. Exactly. So if the octopus wouldn't release, you could ask something like, Lord, would you show me why won't this octopus let go? Or what is the octopus holding on to? That's a pretty easy and relatively unique way to conceptualize these things. I mean, it's the way an author would tell a story about someone dealing with something internally. Like, you'll commonly read about people who, for example, fight the fire of hatred burning inside of them, and it makes sense because that gives the idea of that person's hatred, form, and character. So then, if one could actually conceptualize themselves interacting with that fire and stifling it, or better yet, having Jesus come in and exercise power over it, that kind of makes sense. Right. Often this imagery is already present in our hearts and minds, and we're asking God to bring it out. And since this imagery is personalized, we need to be careful not to automatically attempt to interpret it for ourselves or for other people, but ask the Lord to interpret it. Do you have an example of that? Yes. In one of my classes, there was a girl that we were praying with, and she saw this stack of stones that were ready to tumble over. And the class was ending, so I asked her to stick around so we could pray through what she was seeing. But before I could get to her, several other students had come, and they had already caught her and were certain that they had the biblical interpretation of what was going on. One student said the stones were stones of remembrance from Joshua 4. Another one said they were cairns, like the kind of stones that travelers would stack along the path to lead the way. Yeah, I was in that class too with our prayer team that day, and I remember all these students rushing up to her, sure that they had the key, but it was clear by her reaction that they weren't quite the right interpretation. They were great guesses and beautiful pictures of what God could have been saying. But as we prayed, God showed her that these stones represented her attempt to build her own salvation through her own works, one stone at a time. That's why these stones were so unstable. As she surrendered the stones of her self-made salvation, God pushed them over and made them into stairs, saying, See, I have made the way for you. So keep in mind, not all symbols are universal, and we need not rely on our past knowledge or experience. Just as in dream interpretation, as Joseph says in Genesis 40, verse 8, and Daniel says in Daniel 2, verse 27, interpretations belong to the Lord. That's part of the reason why I generally try to let people hear from the Lord themselves before interpreting for them. 
And even though we still use the Garden of the Heart approach from time to time, we actually prefer to let the Lord introduce imagery whenever possible, rather than introducing our own framework of imagery on a prayer time. When we do intentionally introduce symbols, we usually pick a passage from Scripture like Hebrews 12, asking God to show them if there's any sin that's entangling them in their race, or Colossians 3, where we ask God to show them if there's anything that we need to put on or to take off. I can see how this concept of something non-physical like emotions and sins being represented in images that we could interact with is a bit of a shift in thinking for many of our listeners to consider. At the same time, I too can speak from my experience with that. It was a shift for me, but it helped me to visualize and ultimately deal with a sense of inferiority and comparison between my siblings and me. And I look forward to sharing some of that story with you a bit later on when we jump into my own journey in this kind of prayer. Yeah, we are looking forward to that. And later in the season, we'll go into more detail concerning the differences between imaging something and imagining something in prayer and even model listening prayer in this podcast. But if you are too unquenchably curious to wait, you can check out some of our examples of praying through scripture on our website at praythroughit.com forward slash media. See you next week. Did you know that we often lead listening and inner healing prayer retreats and trainings? Who do you know that would benefit from these? Check us out at praythroughit.com slash events to see when we are going to be in your area. And if you don't see what you're looking for, email Don at drlove at praythroughit.com to discuss how we can minister to your family and friends. Unquenchable is a ministry of Pray Through It Ministries. To learn more about us and our ministry, check us out at praythroughit.com.